You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. James tell us in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will do what? Flee. Resist him and he's flee. Now there's something interesting about our own mental attitudes. We can be defeated before we even get a problem because we take a mental attitude. We say, oh, I'm defeated. I can't win. I'm worried. I'm scared. We think, oh, he has, this Satan has this great power and, and he's so cunning and all we do is thinking, oh man, he's attacking me. And we just kind of melt in front of him. Well, no, no. When we resist the devil, he will flee from us. In this message, Pastor Dave points out that the average Christian quickly assumes they will succumb to the devil and ironically end up doing so in the process. Today, be uplifted by the knowledge that God has given you the power to resist and conquer Satan. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 as he begins his message, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. We studied through chapters 18 and 19. We saw Jehoshaphat, the king, make a bad decision where he allied himself with the wicked king Ahab through marriage. He compromised with darkness and subsequently he was seduced into going to war with Ahab against the mighty Syrian army. But what's interesting is we found out that the Lord actually used this time to depose of the wicked king. He used this very scenario so that he could get rid of King Ahab, which fulfilled prophecy. Jehoshaphat, when he went into battle, wearing the king's clothes, was surrounded by the enemy. And he cried out unto the Lord. And the Lord helped him to escape injury or possibly death. It was a great victory on the Lord's part. The Lord protected Jehoshaphat as he cried out to him. When Jehoshaphat returned to Jerusalem, he was greeted by a prophet, Hanani. And he says these things in chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him. And said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So I misspoke. It was Jehu who came out as the prophet. It was Jehu who came out as the prophet. He was the son of Hanani. And he comes out and he gives this prophecy to Jehoshaphat. And although Jehoshaphat had done some not so good things, the Lord did find some good things in him because he didn't take down the wooden images from the land and he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. And we know that when you seek the Lord, the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
When we seek him, we find him. Now those are scriptures. Seek me and you'll find me. So when we seek him, he's there. So Jehoshaphat was a seeker. He sought the Lord. And because of that, the Lord was with him. And even though the Lord didn't like the fact that he made some mistakes, and he even as we get to the end of chapter 20, he's going to make another mistake. But the Lord is with him. And his heart is loyal to the Lord. I'm sure Jehu's words encouraged the king. He made a bad decision and it almost cost him his life. But God had other plans. God had other plans. There's that but God. You should do a study on every time that appears in the Bible and to see the direction it takes the scriptures. But God. I love that. I was stuck in sin. But God. Yeah. My life was horrible. But God. You can go on and on and on. So Jehoshaphat now continued his reign in Jerusalem, having learned a valuable lesson. And it's very, very important that when the Lord shows us something, when we're doing wrong, (laughs) it's a good idea to correct that wrong. It's a good idea that once the Lord shows you these things, that we correct it. And then we move forward. Jehoshaphat did. He went into the mountains and he brought people back to the Lord. He sent judges in the land and brought the people back to the Lord. And the Lord was with them. He was telling them that they would judge justly and righteously. And they would act faithfully with a loyal heart. So Jehoshaphat now all fired up. He's all fired up because he's been safe from death by the hands of the Assyrians. He was told this prophecy. Nevertheless, the Lord is still with you. And he's going to do good with you. And you've prepared your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat continued to do many things. Now, you know what's coming, probably, because it always seems that when we have settled down and the kingdom was getting back on track, something was going to happen. But it's interesting that as we begin chapter 20, we see a familiar theme. Just when you thought it was safe, just when you thought everything was going your way and the people were drawing closer to the Lord, just when you thought things were going good and the Lord had done a mighty work, in comes your enemy who was lurking about, roaring like a lion, looking to see whom he can devour. You know, Peter talked about that in his epistle. In 1 Peter 5, in verse 8, He says those very words. And I think they're worth reading. 1 Peter 5, in verse 8, he says, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Jesus, After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I love that. I just love that verse. We have to be on guard is what's being said here. We have to be sober, which means clear-minded. We have to be on guard so that we can resist the devil when he comes to us. Peter knows all too well about this verse. Remember at the dinner, at the supper? Peter, Satan has asks for you, and he wants to sift you as wheat. Can you imagine Jesus telling you that? By the way, so-and-so, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. 
And then, of course, Jesus gives them the encouragement, but when you return, feed my sheep. That's a but God. But when you return, feed my sheep. How do we overcome? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 9, to be steadfast in the faith. What did James tell us in James 4, 7? Resist the devil and he will do what? Flee. Resist him and he's flee. Now, there's something interesting about our own mental attitudes. We can be defeated before we even get a problem. Because we take a mental attitude. We say, oh, I'm defeated. I can't win. I'm worried. I'm scared. We think, oh, he has, this Satan has this great power. And, and he's so cunning. And all we do is think, oh, man, he's attacking me. And we just kind of melt in front of him. Well, no. No. We need to be steadfast in our faith. We need to be believing in God. We need to be trusting in him who overcame Satan on the cross. And in him we are what? Overcomers. We're overcomers in Christ Jesus, and that should be our stance. That should be our stance. Why? Because 1 John 4, 4, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he in you than he is in the world. We have that hope and that faith in him. We have that faith. Jesus has given us authority and power. Don't give in. Resist by faith. Be steadfast. And it seems that Jehoshaphat, everything's going well for him. But every time you get on that mountaintop, every time you get on that mountaintop and have that mountaintop experience and you start to come down the mountain, you're going to be tested. And things are going to happen. And this is why we must always be seeking the Lord. We must always have a clear mind and a clear head, a renewed spirit. We must walk in a spirit of readiness. We must be ever steadfast and immovable in our faith, on guard against the ways of the evil one who comes when we least expect it. When you think you have everything under control. When Peter, James, and John came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, they were met with a child who was demon-possessed, and they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't do anything after they saw all that they saw. This appears to be happening in chapter 20. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It happened after this, after everything was going so well, after this, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are Hazazon, Tamar, which is Engedi. After this, after the king's rescue from the Syrians, after the king put in many reforms, after things seemed to be settling down and all was going well and everybody was sitting back in a hammock eating bonbons, all of a sudden, these rogue nations started to come against Jerusalem. A great multitude has come against you. And when you thought it was safe. It's interesting. When I read this, and we've been, we're studying end times in the book of Revelation. And Jesus said, the tribulation is going to come upon you when you think there is peace and safety. Peace and safety. When you're sitting back and, yeah, everything's cool. Everything's great. The enemy is just waiting. And he's hoping for you to let your guard down. Notice he loves to use scare tactics. What did they say? A great multitude. A great multitude of people. When he uses scare tactics, let's see what Jehoshaphat did. We can learn from Jehoshaphat. Look at verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. He was afraid. Fear snuck into his life. 
But he immediately set himself to seek the Lord. Look at that happen. He looked out. He heard that a great multitude was coming. He feared. But then immediately he sought himself to seek the Lord. He got in tune with the Lord. This is wonderful. He does the right thing. He fears and then he seeks the Lord. You know, we experience fear from time to time. And when we do, we need to set ourselves to seek the Lord. We need to set ourselves to seek the Lord. We need to be reminded that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Fear is not from the Lord. Fear is from the enemy. And he uses the fear to get us to do his will. Fear is the opposite of faith. God uses faith to get us to do his will. And when we're afraid, we too need to call out to the Lord. We too need to call out to the Lord because David knew this in Psalm 46, one of our favorite songs that we have read over and over, and I always love to read it. In verse 46, Psalm 46, God is our strength, our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We need to have that memorized. We need to have that sunk into our heart and know that God is our refuge. He is our strength. When we're resting in the Lord, he is our strength. There's nothing to fear about. Do all the events that are happening around the world with the trial, with the uprisings in all the cities, with all the other stuff that's going on, fear is sneaking in there and trying to grip you and pull you down. Greater is he living in you than he is in the world. You have Jesus in you. You have the Christ, the Son of the living God, living in you. We have nothing to fear about. We have nothing to fear about. Has the enemy raised his ugly head against you? Do you feel outnumbered? Do you feel overwhelmed because of the great multitude that's coming against you? It seems like everything you do is going wrong. I can't get anything done right. What am I going to do? Set yourself to seek the Lord. Get on your knees before him and pray. Seek his face. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's what we need to do. And what I love about Jehoshaphat, man, does he show good leadership skills. He really does. He shows some great leadership quality here. Why? Look at the next thing. He said, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. That's great leadership. That's great, man. I'm proclaiming a fast, he said. I'm proclaiming a fast. What thing? He does not only seek the Lord for himself, but he gets everybody else to seek the Lord also as well. He proclaims a fast. Now, usually when a fast happens, what else do you do? Pray. Absolutely. You pray. Prayer usually comes with fasting. I used to love What Pastor Chuck used to say, he used to say to pastors, get your church praying and keep them praying. Prayer, the army of God moves on its knees. Prayer accomplishes so much. Prayer gets God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer, we need to be a church of prayer. We have prayer every Sunday night. We need to be praying. We need to be praying. Joseph called a fast throughout all Judah. Let's look at verses 4 through 8. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. 
Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. He stands there and he calls them all together. And they all come. They all come. Judah gathered together. They presented themselves as one to God. They came together. They came together to seek the Lord. They were all seeking him. They were all of one accord. They were like-minded. Think about that. They were like-minded. Then Jehoshaphat stands in the assembly of Judah and in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. They were in a temple before the new court. And listen to what he says. Listen to this prayer that Jehoshaphat leads the gang in. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might that no one is able to stand with you, withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name? Wow. What an opening line. Aren't you the God of our fathers? How many remember the hymn? God of our fathers. Anyhow. He questions the Lord. I love this. Are you not God in heaven? He's recognizing who he is. Do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might and no one can understand you? What a declaration. We're a realization of who God is. And what a recognition of how God can work in our lives. It's a realization and a recognition. Jehoshaphat is speaking of God's sovereignty. He's speaking of his power. He's speaking of his might. And then he gets personal. Are you not our God? It's one thing to recognize his greatness. It's one thing to recognize his power and his might. It's one thing to recognize that he's mightier and greater than anybody. But it's even more special when you recognize and declare him to be your God. Jesus Christ is a personal God. He's personal. He died for you. Each one of us individually. He died for you. He died for you. It's even more special when we declare him our God. Many people recognize Jesus' abilities, his healings, and his teaching as one having authority. And possibly maybe he was one of the prophets or a good man. But everything changes when you declare him as your God. When you recognize what he did on the cross for you. When you pull that in and recognize it and believe in that, he becomes your God. Matthew 16, he looks at the disciples and said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Jehoshaphat continues and said, he is the God who drove out all the nations before the Israelites inhabited the land. You are the God who gave us this land and we built you a temple in which we dwell. We will come and play and stay here in this place. Look at verse nine. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Wow. Look what he's saying to these people. Can you imagine these people are sitting there going, yeah, yeah. They're getting all excited. Listen to the confidence that he's speaking here. He recognizes that while in the temple, he and the nation are standing in the presence of God. In the very presence of God. Oh, man. They also believe that when they cry out to him in their time of need, he's not only going to hear them, but he's going to save them. How can Jehoshaphat say this? Because it just happened to him 
Back in the last chapters, remember when he was in the battle? He was in the battle and he was surrounded by all the guys who were going to kill them. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord saved him and heard him. So Jehoshaphat can say this with great confidence. Hey guys, I was there. They were ready to take my head, but the Lord took care of them. I like that. This is how we need to approach the Lord in our prayers. We need to approach the Lord this way, with confidence knowing that he will do all things according to his purpose. Notice that Jehoshaphat helped the people get their eyes off the great multitude that was coming and on the Lord. He took their eyes off their circumstances, took their eyes off the problems that were developing all around them, and he had them put them on the Lord where they belong. Look at the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal. For the temporal things will fade away, but the eternal is there forever. He told them how great and awesome God was compared to anybody else. Now, as I was studying this, verses 6 through 9 reminded me of the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Reminded me of the beginning of the Lord's Prayer because in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We begin the Lord's Prayer by recognition of who he is. He's our Father, our Abba, and he's personally ours because we've been adopted to his family by Jesus Christ's death. His name is hallowed, and there's a reverence there. There's an awe there because his name is hallowed. He is most holy. He's above all things. He is hallowed because of his power and his might, and we know he never changes. So I kind of got that from that, and you can look at that and see where that leads you, but that's what I got out of that. Coming before him, recognizing God's greatness, recognizing that you're standing before the most holy God. I mean, when Moses went to him, what did he say? Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And then Jehoshaphat petitions for the nation in verses 10 through 12. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Wow, come on. Come on, you having a problem today? You having some difficulty with work or with, with family, with relationships or whatever? Are you having difficulty? Get your eyes off the difficulty and place them on God. This is exactly what's being said here. Jehoshaphat praises God for his goodness, praises God for his leading and his guiding, and he recognizes his sovereignty and his might. I love this about this guy. And then he places his petition before the Lord. This is the proper sequence. This is the proper sequence. When we come to the Lord, we don't automatically, oh, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. We gotta spend time with Him. We gotta spend time praising Him, worshiping, telling Him how thankful we are with Him. Remember, in everything give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord, in everything give thanks. That's the sequence here. You are Second Chronicles is the ongoing account of the kings of Israel and then Judah. Here on Assure Hope, Pastor Dave has been teaching through this book, giving you a good awareness of the things that happened during this time. 
He started with King Solomon's reign, and you quickly see how when things are managed by mere men, it starts to devolve into selfish wants and desires. This is the way of the world, isn't it? But in contrast to that, you get a glimpse into a few kings who really sought after the Lord and tried to honor him with their kingly reign. Being human, there's always that tension between what you want and how it gives you that esteem versus doing what honors God and gives him glory. It can be easy to look at some of the examples of these kings and quickly start to look down on them. But if you were faced with that same culture and situations, would you do any differently? To know that a few of these men stood up against the crowd is striking. They decided to be countercultural and chose to honor God above all. Wouldn't it be great for God to say the same about you? We're so glad you decided to join us today. This series in the book of 2 Chronicles is one that you'll want to keep tuning into. One teaching connects to the next and helps give you the context of the book as a whole. If you'd like to hear today's message again or you missed one and want to go back to it, head over to assurehoperadio.com. We're out of time for today, but we're excited for you to join us again. Never forget that because of God, you have a sure hope. Show.